6. Mark chapter number 6, and as you're turning there, let me give you a quick update. Uh, I had mentioned to Brother Brent we were going to begin our Christmas series this morning, uh, but actually we're not. We're not going to begin it this morning. We'll begin it next, uh, next Sunday. We'll begin a series called Waiting on Christmas, and we're going to preach uh, four messages during the month of December uh, on uh, what several of the characters in the first Christmas were waiting on. And I want to encourage you this morning to be here for that as we look and see what they would discover in Christ. Oftentimes we focus focus on the Savior, which is the most important part of why Christ came, but there's so many other things that Christ would bring to us that several of those characters at the early Christmas would discover in Him, and you may discover that you're missing out on some of the things that Christ came to bring on that first Christmas. So I want to encourage you to be here on that first, uh, first day next Sunday. But this morning, I feel like, you know, I wasn't here for any of the Thanksgiving messages. Uh, I know some of the other preachers that filled in, they preached some Thanksgiving messages, and I, I just don't feel like I'm meeting my quota if I do not preach a Thanksgiving message. I kind of feel like I'm supposed to do that, and my first Thanksgiving here, I can't rip you off without preaching a Thanksgiving message. So if you're in Mark chapter 6, let's stand together, and we're going to look down, and uh, we're going to take a hindsight view of Thanksgiving if we could. I know many of us uh, are probably tired of talking about it. You're probably tired of still eating the leftovers. And uh, some of you look like you have, uh, you have uh, fluffed up a little bit, maybe from Thanksgiving since the last time I saw you. I did too, okay? I, haven't, I didn't have a huge Thanksgiving. I didn't eat a lot, but when I was on vacation, I did. So I'm right there with you. Mark chapter number 6, let's pick up in, uh, pick up in verse number 45. Now the backstory, real quick. In Mark chapter number 6, in about verse number 32 through verse number 44, we have where Jesus has fed the 5,000, okay? They didn't have enough food, but Jesus multiplied the bread and the fishes and fed the 5,000 that were there. Now, immediately after this is over, the Bible says in verse 45, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. You read the other accounts in the other Gospels, you'll find out the wind was blowing. It was quite uh, tumultuous weather there. Verse number 48 says, And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them, uh, passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up, up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed. Now watch the end of verse 51. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered... And the key verse this morning is verse number 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for your word and the opportunity to be at your house amongst your people on your day. And I pray this morning that we'll make this day yours. The Father, we'll set aside our heart, our time, our efforts, Lord, that we might devote some, some time of worship to you and, Lord, get you back where you belong in our lives in that first place. And I pray this morning for those that are saved that you would help us, Lord, get our priorities where they need to be and our focus on you and to set our affections on things above this morning. I pray for those that may be here today that are lost. Lord, show them their need for salvation. Show them their need to be saved and that they could have their name written down in heaven. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the message, that your will be done in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it was on Monday or Tuesday morning of our trip. Uh, I woke up and I had a, a pain behind my shoulder blade and I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Kind of a catch there behind the right part of my shoulder blade. I wasn't feeling well. And when you're on vacation, you know, you're just kind of having so much fun. You want to overlook it if you can. And, and so I tried to overlook it for a couple of days. And it just wouldn't go away. And, you know, when you prepare for a vacation for a year, you like to be able to enjoy it. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go to, the, go to a clinic real quick and get a shot. I usually didn't like shots, but uh, they work. They're fast. They're effective. And so I left them there in Disney. And I decided to go find me an urgent care so that I I could get a shot and anyway went over there and uh, buddy he gave me a couple of them in my hip and um, 
Things began to feeling better, and uh, what they didn't tell me, though, was one of the shots was a steroid, and uh, I, I was just thinking after I found out that it was a steroid that I was going to start looking a little bit more buff. My wife told me it didn't work, and, uh, but that steroid had a side effect where I could not sleep. And I mean, I could not sleep. I'm just laying there in bed staring at the ceiling, you know, and after you've ridden a small world 50 times, it's just playing over and over in your head. And that can be torture to a person to not be able to sleep and get that song out of your head after a while. And so anyway, one morning, I think it was about four o'clock, finally, I got tired of just laying there staring at the ceiling and they have free coffee up there in the food court of our resort. And I thought, why lay here, you know, when I could be drinking free coffee? And so I grabbed my mug and I went to the, the food court at 4.30 in the morning and you should have seen all these people staring at me, trying to figure out, what is this guy doing? I carried my Bible with me and go walking up in the food court with my Bible, laid it down there on the table and just started reading my Bible at 4.30 in the morning. You could tell they, they thought I was crazy crazy, but that's all right, okay? We're not supposed to fit in down here. And uh, so I studied all throughout about, to about 8.30, 9 o'clock that morning. While I was studying, I was reading Mark chapter number 6. As I read Mark chapter number 6 and read the feeding of the 5,000, something began to jump out at me that I want to try to bring out to you this morning in the message, if possible. When we read that, the account before the one we just read about the feeding of the 5,000, if you look closely, I think you'll see a picture of a Thanksgiving meal, now, if you would look back at verse 32, we're not going to preach out of these verses, but I want to set the tone for the message, if we could, with uh, those verses. We look back in, in verse number 31, if you will. The Bible says that Jesus told his disciples here, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. So in verse number 31, watch closely, we see a break, a, a Thanksgiving break, if you will. They're taking some time off for rest. And I think we've all looked forward to that Thanksgiving break. I know my daughter looked forward to getting out of school and having that time off on vacation. So verse 31, we see them taking some time off. Look at verse 33. The people saw them departing. Many knew him, ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and went out, out with them, and came together unto him. You'll find out in a few minutes these people are going to get very hungry. So verse 31, we see people taking a break. Verse 33, we see a bunch of hungry guests, and some of them are even uninvited guests. How many of you had to endure that this Thanksgiving? Don't raise your hand. Smart. Very good. So you're, you're smart. Your mom didn't raise no dummy. So we see hungry people, a big crowd of people that are hungry. Now keep reading. Verse 36, the disciple says, send them away that they may go into the country roundabout into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. So now we have somebody in verse 36 worrying there's not going to be enough food. How many of you were guilty about that? Probably our ladies in here. Worried there's not going to be enough food for Thanksgiving, but there always is. We look down to verse number 39. Everybody sits down for this big meal. Verse 41, there's a blessing asked over the meal. Verse 42, the Bible says they all did eat, they did all eat and were filled. There's overeating. I think we could all be guilty of that Thanksgiving time. And verse 43 is probably my favorite part. We see the leftovers. There's the leftovers from Thanksgiving. There's nothing better than a, a cold turkey sandwich from leftover Thanksgiving turkey. It, it's just marvelous. So we see kind of a Thanksgiving meal taking place here, but here's what's interesting. This is what jumped out at me, and we'll kind of get into the message, and I'll try to uh, get you out of here on time. After talking about this food, you're going to be hungry, and you're going to want to get out. So I'm going to try to get through this, but I want to make sure we preach what God gave us this morning. I believe probably the most striking resemblance of a Thanksgiving meal is in verse 52. Verse number 52, the Bible says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I think oftentimes we have a Thanksgiving meal like they did, a big meal, a lot of people, we have a lot of leftovers, we eat until we're full, but oftentimes we have the meal, but hear me out, we miss the meaning of the meal. You see in verse number 52, they enjoyed the meal, but the Bible says they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I think oftentimes we're like the disciples right here in verse number 52. We go through all of the effort and all the preparation and all of the fellowship of a Thanksgiving meal, but oftentimes we get through the meal and we miss the meaning of what all of it was about. They left there with a full belly, but they missed the point of what Christ was trying to teach them. That's why he says in verse 52, he says, you missed it. And you can see that they missed it by the fact that they doubted Christ when they were out there on the water. 
Now, here's what I believe the place that we get to. Oftentimes, we're just a few days removed from celebrating the goodness of God. Is that not what they saw there in that meal? They celebrated the goodness of God, and they saw God bless the bread and bless the fish, and they were thankful for what God did. And here, just a few moments later, they're doubting God's greatness. This morning, I think we better be careful about that. Be careful of coming to the Thanksgiving holiday and we enjoy all of that and the, the feast and the fellowship and the food and we have all of the leftovers and miss the meaning of what it was all about. We celebrate God's goodness and then not long we begin to question God's greatness and I think that's probably where we're at today. I'm not going to speak for Christ and add, put words in his mouth but if I was Christ, the Bible says, the Bible says, as a matter of fact, if you look at verse 48, that they were toiling, and he was just going to walk past them. No big deal. This wind is no big deal. But boy, they're in a panic. They're in trouble. The Bible says in verse number 52, it's because they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I kind of feel like Jesus was thinking to himself, are you serious? Are you kidding? You just saw what I did. You just saw how I blessed, and you saw my power, and you saw me work, and you're worried about this. You just celebrated my goodness, and now you are questioning my greatness. Now, folks, I think true thanksgiving this morning and true reflection upon what God has done will only inspire us to trust God for what he wants to do. And yet the disciples did not reflect upon what God had already done and what Christ had done enough. They considered not the miracle of the loaves. That's why they were in this panic. They celebrated his goodness, but they questioned his greatness. I believe this morning that oftentimes we go through a Thanksgiving season and we miss the meaning of the meal. We miss the meaning of the meal. It's, you know, oftentimes we use the term around this time of year, Jesus is the reason for the season, but I wonder, do we really believe that? I wonder, do we really take the time during the Thanksgiving season to be thankful to God for what he's done, and when we consider all, as David said, he loadeth us with benefits. David says, he loads me down. You ever feel like God just keeps dumping his blessings out on you, and you're like, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. Folks, I'll look, I'm going to do a quick test with you. You say, well, God hadn't done nothing for me lately. You just stick your hand right about in here, and you feel this thumping going on, all right? Sometimes in church, it thumps a little bit faster, all right? Get right with God. That won't happen, okay? But sometimes you feel that thumping. Man, every one of those is a gift from God. You know, there's a lot of people who didn't wake up this morning. And you see how good we can breathe. There's a lot of folks who love to be here this morning, but they couldn't come to church. You were able to come to church this morning. Boy, how good God's been to us. And that ought to motivate us to look forward to what God wants to do in our life. But oftentimes we celebrate his goodness, but then just a few moments later we doubt his greatness. I think when you look at verse 51 and you see these disciples, there's confusion, there's a little bit of panic, they're, they're standing amazed. They couldn't believe what Christ did. The sea calmed because of him. Why? Because they did not consider the miracle of the loaves. The Bible says, for their heart was hardened. So this morning, before we get too far from the Thanksgiving table, I think we need to understand what we just observed. The disciples just left this wonderful table celebrating God's goodness, God's providence, and God's power. And just a few moments later, they're already questioning what he was capable of doing. I mean, folks, listen, if we don't reflect on what God has done, then you're going to question what God wants to do, and you're going to miss out on all that God could have done if he had just considered the miracles that God has already done in our lives. So this morning, here's what we're going to look at if we can. We're going to look at missing the meaning of the meal. Missing the meaning of the meal, and we're going to kind of rethink Thanksgiving just for a few moments, and we're going to learn from the disciples. Isn't it fun when you're able to learn from somebody else's mistakes? Those are free. <laughs> Those are free, you know? I try to learn from my brother and my sister's mistakes. They learn from my mistake. I try to learn from some of your mistakes. Uh, I mean, some of you, you know, uh, that haircut just ain't working, and so I scratch your barber off the list. I'm not going there. 
I try to learn why it's free. Now, the disciples, we see a sad picture here of someone who is in amazement of God's power because they didn't consider what he had already done. So this morning, let's learn from them if we could and see what happens when you miss the meaning of the meal. So go back to verse 51. The Bible says, when he went in the ship with them, now remember verse 48 says he wasn't planning on doing that. The end of verse 48 says, and would have passed them, passed by them. But verse 51, he gets in the ship, and the Bible says, the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed. They were shocked that there was such power in Christ that when he got in the ship with them, that the wind actually ceased. You see, what happened, because they forgot what God had done, they were amazed at what he could do. So number one, notice what happens. When you miss the meaning of, of the meal, number one, it opens the door to doubt. It opens the door for doubt. Now, listen close. If you're not careful to remember and reflect upon God's power and his providence in your life, if you're not careful to remember those things, you'll question and doubt what he des- desires to do in the future. The disciples are amazed. I have to think that in, in, in Christ's heart, he must have been amazed at them. I mean, I just multiplied the bread and the fishes to feed over 5,000 people, and the wind stopped, and you found that amazing? You see, doubt had entered in. A while back, I think I gave you the definition of the word doubt, but it's quite amazing. When you look it up, and you look it up in the Greek when it was written in the book of Mark, the word doubt comes from the root word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-U-S, doulos, D-O-U, focus on that. So we get our word double from, okay? It means twice. The word doubt literally means to second guess. The disciples had doubt in their heart at what Christ was desiring to do because they considered not what he had already done. No, folks, listen, too often in our life, doubt permeates our walk with God. It's unfortunate, but the people of God are not the most confident people in the world. If there's anybody who ought to be confident, it ought to be God's people. Listen, I'm not talking about arrogant. I'm not talking about prideful. I'm talking about confident. Why? Because we have the truth, and we serve the one true living God. We ought to be confident about that. Look, I was, I was in Disney World for 10 days. Let me tell you. There, there are some colorful characters down there that are not on cartoons. I met people from all over the world uh, and, and, and their, their hair color and, and, and their lifestyle and just the, the way that they think after having conversations with many of them. Ooh, they're out there. They're out there. But here's what's sad. They're confident about their out there thoughts. They think they're right. They think they've got it all nailed down and yet the people of God The people, listen, this is the church, the pillar and ground of truth. We got it. And yet we're not confident. Why? Because doubt comes in when you fail to recognize what God has done. Be careful this morning of going through this Thanksgiving season and having the turkey and the dressing and all of that. I mean, it's wonderful. I admit it's great. I had Thanksgiving with mom and dad. It was great. Be careful going through this season. And and calling ourselves, reflecting upon what God has done. Because if we just go through the motions of the meal, we're going to miss the meaning. And the meaning was to see all that God has done so that we look forward in anticipation to all that God wants to do. So number one, when you miss the meaning of the meal, it opens the door for doubt. Now you read the other accounts in the Gospels of of what's happening here, Mark chapter 6, Matthew chapter 14, John chapter 6. You'll find this is the same account where Peter would walk on the water. And during the same time as Peter walks on the water and he begins to sink and Jesus pulls him up, what's the question that Christ asks him? Wherefore didst thou doubt? Now I want you to think about Peter. I like Peter. I've told you before. I think me and Peter, you know, what do they call those spirit animals? I don't know what my spirit animal is. I still, somebody needs to tell me that. I hear you're supposed to have one. I have a friend of mine. His spirit animal is a sloth. That's what he tells me. I don't know what mine is. If you're, if you're an expert on spirit animals, could you please help me figure out what mine is after the service? But I think me and Peter kind of think alike. Peter would have some high highs and some low lows. Peter would do some great things, and then Peter would do some dumb things. And I'm like, I like Peter. I don't like Paul. Paul don't seem to mess up. 
like Jonathan, guys like that. They don't seem to mess up. I like Peter because he messed up. You see old Peter, he is eager to jump out of the boat. He says, bid me come unto thee on the water. I want to get out there with you. I mean, Peter just, he did not think twice. Why? Because at that moment, Peter just remembered what Christ did. If you can multiply the bread and the fish, (laughs) then you can let me come out there and walk on the water with you. He didn't give walking on the water a second thought. But when did he begin to sink? When he began to doubt? What does doubt mean? Make a second thought. You see, Peter remembered, and that got him on the water, but then Peter forgot, and that's why he sank. Years ago, they had these things called newspapers. Some of our young people probably don't know what those are, but it's it kind of like a tablet on paper. And then we throw them at your door. Can you imagine them throwing tablets at the door today? And I remember my great-grandmother, my mom's grandmother, my mom's grandmother in Pasadena, Mississippi, she would get the newspaper, and I, she would open up and read it on Sunday mornings, and I would read the newspaper with her. And uh, I would not read the important part. I would read the, the part that are in color. The comics is what we called them. And I would go over there and sneak the Fago Red Pops out of her pie safe. Man, those were good in the glass bottle. For some reason, glass bottle things seem to always taste better. And um, one of the, one of the uh, cartoons was Hagar as a Viking. I got you guys a picture of that, didn't I? Yeah, there he is. Hey, remember him? Remember Hagar, the Viking? Yes, yeah, some of you guys remember that. Back in the Stone Age, they used to have those papers. And uh, oh, Hagar, one of, his, one of his most famous comics, I love this one, it shows Hagar praying. And he prays to God, and Hagar says to God, it's, it's so hard to believe in you because we can't see you. In the next few clips, the the little boxes show the scenes. One shows a star streaking across the sky in the night sky. One shows an eclipse of the sun. One shows a lightning bolt coming across the sky. One shows the, the, the earth moving up and down. And Hagar finally looks back up to God and he says, stop, stop, stop. Okay, he says, look, every time we have this conversation, we always get interrupted. Never mind. Hagar's missing it. That was God. He missed out. That was God moving that across the sky. It was God keeping the sun and the moon, all of these things floating in the the atmosphere. Folks, that was God. And so often, listen, we miss what God is doing, what God has done, and then we open the door for doubt. No wonder we have so many young people in this generation questioning the most basic tenets of humanity because doubt centered in. We were on vacation, uh, there's a ride that I used to be afraid of, and I'm very proud to admit that I'm no longer afraid of it. It's called the Tower of Terror, and I think anything called the Tower of Terror, you might ought to at least give it a second thought. My wife loves it. We wrote it on our honeymoon. One of the reason I wrote it then is because of my male pride, and I didn't want my wife to think she married a chicken, and so I got on it with her, and I won't tell you the backstory there, but man, it's a good one. Ten years later, I wrote it again, okay? And uh, my excuse for not writing it was my daughter. I would say, look, you go ride, I'll sit with her, you know, as a good dad. And I would stay with my daughter there in the the waiting room. Well, then this horrible thing happened last year. Horrible thing happened. My daughter says, Dad, I want to ride. I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) She said, Dad, I think I want to ride with Mom. I'm like, no, you don't. No, baby. Oh, have you been in there? Scary, scary. Look, I'm protecting you from fear. I don't want you to wake up in the middle of the night screaming in nightmares. So don't know. You don't want to ride that. And so finally my daughter got on. Well, now I don't have anybody else to sit with. We only have one child. Now I wish we'd have had more, but you know, I could stay with them down in the waiting room. And so I had to get on and I wrote it. And I remember the first time I wrote it, it wasn't that bad. I said, like, yeah, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And Molly says, Dad, can we ride it again? Like, sure. <laughs> We'll write it again. We wrote it again, and we went to California. We wrote it there, and we got off the ride this past time, and I told my wife, I said, would you remind me that I like this? I even have a picture of it. I'll show it to you. I said, would you remind me? There, there I am. I'm on the top right. I'm the guy with the thumbs up. My daughter in the middle, she still looks scared, and my wife is smiling. She's having a, a great time there. But here's what I had to tell my wife. I told my wife, I said, would you remind me that I like this? 
Because, look, the next time we come here, I might be like, I don't want to get on that. I can't do that. I don't enjoy that. I said, so I need you to remind me that I liked it. Okay? Now, folks, listen to me. So often, the reason that we're hesitant to get on board with the things of God is we need to be reminded of how enjoyable it was to do the will of God and to see God work through us in the past. If you would just be reminded of what God did in the past and consider the miracles that God has wrought in your life, you would be so much more eager to get on board. But when you forget, when you forget how good it was to have God work in your life and to see God provide and to see God do what only God could do, when you forget about that, then you're hesitant to get on board. We need reminders. So I told my wife, we went back to that park the next few days, and I says, she says, you want to go on the Tower of Terror? She says, remember, you liked it. I said, okay, yeah, I did. I remember I liked and I got on board, and I had a good old time. Can I tell you, you're missing out on some stuff this morning of what God could be doing in your life because you don't remember what God's already done in your life. We see some of our kinfolk in the Old Testament, the children of, the, uh, children of Israel, how God wanted to do so much for them promised land, he wanted to provide for them. So much God had planned for them, but they would miss out on it. Why? Because they kept tripping over doubt. They kept tripping over doubt. They kept doubting God, and I I found something quite amazing. In Psalms 106, 21, the Bible gives us the example. It says, they forget their Savior. Listen close. And the great things that he had done in Egypt. Remember all the plagues and the power of God that was on full display in Egypt. God says, look what I did. And yet they forgot about that. And when they got to go out to face the Philistines and the Canaanites, they says, no, we can't do it. Why? Because they forgot. All throughout your Bible, we won't take the time to turn there, but all throughout your Bible, you'll see Christians You'll see people of God who were unhesitant in their faith, and it was all because they remembered what God had done in the past. Why did David run to Goliath? The Bible says David ran. He was not hesitant. David was not scared. David ran to meet Goliath. Why? Because in the back of his mind, he remembered the lion, and he remembered the bear. And when he went to kill Goliath, he says, you got a spear and you got a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord who delivered me out of the hand of the lion and the bear. He never forgot. You'd be amazed at the enthusiasm you could have for the will of God for your life if you would just remember and consider what God has already done. Preacher friend of mine is preaching at Brother TJ's church this morning. It's his first time to preach a Sunday morning service. Those were the scary ones. And I said, I'm praying for you this morning. Hope you have a great day. He says, thanks, I needed that. And I was thinking about this young man, and I was thinking about all that God's done in his life. And I said, you know, the confidence he needs to get behind that pulpit and preach the word of God with power and fervor doesn't come from what I'm going to tell him. All he's got to do is remember how far God's already brought him in his life. But when you forget, can I tell you what happens? It opens the door for doubt. We see that in verse 51. They were amazed. Why? Because verse 52 tells us they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They forgot what God had already done. Now, folks, you look in America today, and I'm not talking about just the general populace. Look at the church in America today. We see so many of our young people turning from the truth. Raised in a good church, went to a Christian school, and they're turning from the truth. Why? I think we see the answer in Judges chapter 2. I'll give you this, and I'll give you the second point. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says this, and also all that generation, this is the generation who saw God work in Egypt, were gathered unto their fathers, and there rose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now, can I ask you this question this morning? What happened? Why was there an entire generation who did not know about the mighty works of God? Why was there an entire generation that rose up after the generation that saw it had died? Why was there an entire generation who rose up and did not know about the amazing things that God had done? I fear the answer is simply this. Someone quit talking about the goodness of God. We quit talking about it. It's amazing. We talk about the goodness of our doctor, our mechanic, 
about the goodness of our shotgun and our fishing pole and our walking shoes. All of that's good in its place. But I'll tell you, there's been nobody who's been just as good to you as God has. Our children need to hear about what God's done. Our children, by the way, that's why Satan's working so hard to rewrite American history. That's why our school books are being rewritten, that they will not know that it was God that brought this country to be. That's why they're erasing it, that we'll forget about it, so that the next generation will not look to God to hold it together. And that's exactly what's happening. The Bible says they knew not the Lord. When we were on vacation, I'm thankful to be able to go on vacation. I'm thankful the church allows us to be able to go on vacation. And thankful that God provided that we could go on vacation. And all throughout our trip, you ask my daughter. All throughout our trip, I'm reminding her, hey, this is good. Look look what God allowed us to do. God allowed us to stay another day. I'm getting one of the big old turkey legs. You know, walking around there. God provided that turkey leg. God provided that snow cone and that cotton candy that we ate. We ate ourselves sick. There's a few times I honestly felt like I needed to find a church somewhere and, and go confess to the Lord that I had overeaten so many times. God had provided that. I wanted her to know what God had done, that God had provided that. Why? Because there'll come a time in her life I want her to look forward to what God wants to do with her. And I want her to have the example of what God did for mom and dad to be able to follow that. How often do our kids hear about what God has done in our life? I fear this morning we talk more about other things that are more temporal. So number one, when you miss the meaning of the meal, it opens the door to doubt. We see it in verse 51. The disciples are just shocked at the power of God. But then something else happens. If you'll look down in verse number 49, doubt is interesting because doubt has has some traveling companions that come along with it. The Bible says in verse number 49, when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. Now here's some men who just saw God do something great and now they're scared to death. One of the most common traveling companions of doubt, one of the side effects. Remember I told you the side effects of that steroid were not being able to sleep. One of the others, by the way, was it made my face fatter. It really did. I'm not joking. I asked my wife one day. We took a selfie with Mickey or somebody. And I says, am I that big? She says, no, you're not that big. And so I Googled it and I blamed it on the medicine. So if you saw Facebook pictures and I look bigger than usual, it's just because of the medicine. Okay? It, that's the, it wasn't the turkey legs. It was because of the medicine. Can I tell you what one of the side effects of doubt is? Fear. Fear. Now we see some men who just saw God do something great. And because they're doubting, number two, when you miss the meaning of the meal, it finds a place for fear. You open yourself up to being afraid when we should be powerful. The Bible tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear. That didn't come from God. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. This is how God wants his children to function in adverse circumstances, not in fear, but in power. But when you forget what God has done and you doubt what God will do, the next step is for you to be afraid. See, here's how it works. Watch. When you don't recognize what God's done, you become doubtful. Doubt is a lack of faith. Can I tell you what fills the void when faith goes out the window? Fear. Fear and faith cannot coexist. You will be motivated by one or the other, by faith or by fear. And we saw the great works of God that ought to have filled them up with faith. If I saw Christ multiply the bread and the fishes, I hope that would put enough gas in my tank to trust Christ for whatever he wanted to do. And yet we find them fearful. I found this in my ministry, in my short, young ministry. There's two kinds of Christians. Those that are liberated by their faith or captivated by their fears. Now, can I tell you how I know that? Because I know myself. When I go out to do the will of God, I'm either going to do it, watch this, in the liberation my faith gives me. When I go out to knock doors and I'm in an area that may not be the best area in town, I can go out there trusting Christ but I'm not going to leave here a second earlier than I'm, going to leave, I'm supposed to leave here and trust in him or I can go in fear and be captivated by my fear. We see a couple of examples of this I'll give you real quickly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to think about those three Hebrew boys. Here they are facing certain death. I'd be scared to death. 
I don't like, look, I don't like getting my finger burned. Can you imagine being thrown into a fire? They're facing certain death, and yet they're not fearful. They're faithful. I mean, they looked at the king. Now, watch how scared they sound. They looked at the king, and they said, we're not careful to answer you. We're not careful. We're not afraid. You, You don't frighten me. Why? Because they were liberated by their faith. Wouldn't you love to have the liberty to look at the world and say, not afraid. Not afraid. I'm going to go, I'm going to live according to the word of God, I'm going to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I'm not afraid what the world has to say about it. Wouldn't you love to be able to do that? We can't, though. You know why? Because we're captivated by our fear. We're afraid of what the world's going to say about us. We're afraid that our, our, our children, the world says our children, look, if you raise your children in that, that, that greenhouse environment of the will of God and the word of God and the church of God, your children are not going to be well socialized. Can I just tell you this morning, I don't want the world to socialize my children. My child, I only have one, all right? My daughter was looking confused there for a moment. Why do you want the world socializing your children? I don't, listen, I don't want the world writing my daughter's software of her mind and of her heart. But we're afraid our children are not going to fit in. And so instead of doing what thus saith the Lord, we fear the world instead of the Lord. Where did the fear come from? Well, fear came in when doubt came in. Well, where did doubt come in? When you did not remember what God had already done. Psalms chapter 118 verse 6, David says, this the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do unto me. Amen. Sounds scared, Donnie. Sounds scared. Wouldn't you lo- listen, wouldn't you love to have that kind of moxie? Where were we at the other day? We were, at, we were somewhere and saw John Wayne. Not, not alive. He, he's gone. But uh, we were somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And we, there was a John Wayne movie playing. It was an old black and white John Wayne. And John Wayne just had a swagger about him. Yeah. I wish I had that. Be able to walk into a room, you know, and everybody pay attention and everybody stand up and salute when you walk. Man, just, he had something about him. But you know, he was just an actor. Just an actor. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of John Wayne moxie when you walk around the world that you're not afraid of the world? You're not afraid of what they're going to say? You're not afraid of the criticism? You're not afraid of the persecution? Why? Because you're like David. The Lord is on my side. I know I'm on the right side. Listen, old Clarence Sexton. Or Curtis Hudson, I'm sorry. Used to sing the song, I'm on the winning side. Oh, the confidence and the boldness the man had. Why? Because he knew where he stand. Because he saw what God had done. And folks, when you rely on what God has already done, you can anticipate on what he wants to do. And fear has no place where faith has filled you up. The children of Israel, we see them paralyzed by fear when they went in to take the promised land. The Bible says that they, they looked at the enemy and says, we're as grasshoppers, listen to this, in their sight. They were worried about what they looked upon them as rather than what God looked upon them as. I did some reading while we were gone, and I, I love reading stories about the Old West, and you know, I, I think I would have made a good cowboy if, if I could ride a horse. But um, one of the stories I read about the other day was a, a story in the eight, late 1870s about uh, Black Bart. You ever heard of Black Bart? He was not a pirate. You know, a lot of times we think he's a pirate. He wasn't a pirate. Black Bart, uh, in the late 1870s, 1880s, uh, he robbed the Wells Fargo uh, stagecoaches. I think he robbed about 29 of them. And the, the neat thing about Black Bart was Black Bart never killed anybody. He never killed anybody. They called him the gentleman's bandit because he was nice. But he struck fear into the hearts of people as they traveled west that, that Black Bart was going to rob our stagecoach. And he wore this, this black mask. I mean, doesn't he look like a nice guy? I, I mean, it looks like he'd be somebody's grandfather. But that man was so feared. And yet he had never done anything to anybody. He just robbed the stagecoach. You see, it was that aura that he projected with his mass. He struck fear into the hearts of the people. The the thing was, he never hurt any of them. And so often, we have black barts in our life. We're fearful. Instead of being full of faith that motivates us to do the will of God without hesitation, we're full of fear, and that keeps us from seeing what God could do through our life. I wonder this morning what your black bart may be. 
What is it in your life that that is scaring you away from doing the will of God? Can I tell you, all you need to do is look back what God's already done in your life, and that'll overshadow anything that tries to keep you from what God desires to do today. We see Peter's fear is what the lead weight around his feet as he sank below the waves. Jesus asking, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why were you doubtful? Because Peter looked around at the storm and he was fearful. It was fear that kept Peter from walking on the water. And I wonder this morning if we don't have something in our life that we're fearful of because we doubted, because we failed to remember what God has already done. Probably one of the biggest go-to verses that I use on a regular basis throughout the week in my life and counsel to others is Philippians 4, 6. Jot down Philippians 4, 6. I'm sure you're going to need it sooner or later. The Bible says, be anxious and nothing. Be careful and nothing is what it's getting at. That means worrisome. The Bible says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Be anxious, be fearful, be, not be worrisome. Don't be anxious. Don't be worrisome. Don't be fearful in anything. Now, that's kind of comforting, isn't it? There's some, there's some things out there that are scary. I mean, there's some scary things happening in this world. Phone calls, and we were on the way home, and we were on the turnpike, and also the traffic came to a dead stop, just a dead stop. We sat there for 20 minutes, and a few minutes later, here comes this life flight helicopter and lands about 200 yards in front of us. Evidently, it was a horrific accident. They were loading someone up, and my wife and I were sitting there, and I said, you know, here I was griping about being stuck in traffic for 20 minutes, and somebody's life just changed forever. Somebody's life. Can you imagine getting that phone call? That was your loved one on the way home for Thanksgiving and that accident. I don't know what we couldn't find it on the news, what happened. I mean, look, there's some scary things in this world. The Bible says be anxious in nothing. Careful, fearful. God says, I don't want you to be afraid of anything. How do you combat that? But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. That's faith combating the fear. So how can I trust God with such a great trial? Look what God's already done in your life. Are you saved? Oh, the biggest problem you've ever had has been taken care of. You're a sinner on your way to hell. And listen, by the good grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been saved. Your name's written down in heaven. You're an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. God is your father. There's no problem bigger than the sin problem you had that through the blood of Christ has already been taken care of. God says, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. So number two, when you miss the meaning of the meal, we see what happens. It finds a place for fear, but you've got to trust God. You've got to choose to have faith. I'll give you one more vacation story before we're done. We were on a ride the other day called the Haunted Mansion. It's not really scary. It's kind of funny, but it's called the Haunted Mansion. And we're in line, and we're behind this little girl. She was probably, what, three or four years old? I looked at Miley. I said, when you were that age, you were not scared at all. She would ride this ride. You know, you kind of go through the dark, and there's all these things happening there, and I said, you weren't scared. You weren't worried. I said, it wasn't until you got about seven, eight, nine years old, you started getting scared. She says, what was the difference? I said, simply this. When you were a kid, I told you those things are not going to touch you. They're not going to bother you. They're just a ride. It's going to be okay. She trusted her dad. She said, well, what happened that I got scared when I was seven, eight, or nine? I said, you started thinking for yourself. Isn't that what we do? We first get saved, we trust our Father with that childlike faith. God says, don't worry, they can't touch you. Don't worry, they can't bother you. Just trust me, it's going to be okay. But then we start growing out of our trust because we're adults. You know how we rob ourselves of opportunities to see God do what only God could do, and that's why we live in fear. So number two, it finds a place for fear. And then the last thing I want you to see, it's got a kind of stumped my toe on the end of verse number 48. If you'll turn back there real quickly, we'll give you this and let you go. Verse 48, the Bible says, when he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea. Now, here's what's interesting. The last part is what got me. And would have passed by them. And would have passed by them. But why did he put that in there? You know, I believe every word is inspired. And so the end of verse number 48 is supposed to be in there. Well, it says, and would have passed by them. So why, why did he put those words in there? Well, here's what's interesting. 
The end of verse 52, the Bible says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. It was Christ's intention to walk right past them. It was his intention just to keep going all the way to the shore, and yet because of their problem, because of their unbelief, basically, he had to stop and take care of this. What I wonder this morning is what the story could have been had they not doubted. I wonder what the rest of the story could have been if they just have kept rowing and not been fearful and not been doubtful and just rowed on to the other side. Because see, number three, when you miss the meaning of the meal, it cost us what could have been. It cost us what could have been. Now here's what I want you to see in verse number 48. The Bible says that he would have passed by them. He was going to let them keep going. The sad thing is Christ had more faith in them than they had in him. He says, I'm just gonna, they can handle this. They, surely they're going to reflect upon what I just did, and they're not going to worry, and they're not going to fear, and they're not going to doubt. They're just going to keep going. They got this. But the Bible says, because they were fearful and doubtful, that he had to stop and get in the boat with them. It makes me wonder how often in my life I could have kept rowing I could have kept going and got to the rest of the story with what could have been, but I missed out because rather than choosing faith, I chose fear. Rather than choosing to trust God for what I didn't know and what I didn't see, I chose to doubt what God could do, and it cost me what could have been. Hebrews eleven six. the Bible says, without faith is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means we cannot fulfill the will of God without faith. So here's what that means. When we choose to fear and not have faith, there's something that we're missing out on that we could have done. The Bible gives us a clear picture of that in Matthew 13, verse number 58. The last verse in the chapter, the Bible says this. He did not many mighty works there. He did not many mighty works there. Why? The Bible says because of their unbelief. They missed it. They missed out on what Christ could have done because of their unbelief. Now let's backtrack real quickly. Verse 51, we see them doubtful, we see them fearful. And the answer is verse 52, because they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hard. It means their heart was calloused. They were not sensitive to what God wanted to do. And so because they didn't consider what God had already done, they doubted what he could do, they were fearful, and they missed out on what they could have done. Now, folks, one of the scariest things in my life, if you were to ask me one of the greatest things that I fear you know, I fear somebody in my family getting sick and, and dying. I do kind of fear that. I, I love my family. I don't want any of them to go. Even my in-laws. Amen. I got good in-laws. But probably one of the things I fear the most spiritually is missing out on what I was supposed to do. Missing out on what I was supposed to do. Because I didn't have the faith to trust God to see it through. I, I, I don't want to have... Of Matthew 13, 58 in my life, where God did not many mighty works. He had planned on just kind of letting you row. You could handle this, but because you didn't have faith, he had to step in. I don't want to miss out. I don't want God not to do something in my life because rather than have faith, I had fear because I didn't remember what God's already done. God moved us here six months ago. And the way it was kind of frightening, I'll be honest with you. Not that you folks are frightening. Some of you are, but most of you are nice folks. Because leaving somewhere you're comfortable, leaving everything that you know, coming to somewhere you don't know. And I'll be honest, I told my wife, I don't want to be the guy that kills Central Baptist Church. You know, you're thinking, I don't want to go there. I'm not, look, I don't want to do that. And then God says, you remember about five years before that, I called you to go to Monroe. Yeah, I remember that. Me and God are having these conversations. You ever see me going down the road and I'm, nobody else is in the car? I'm doing, it's me and God. All right, just me and God. Some of you ought to try it. Talking to God is quite wonderful. I said, yeah, I remember that. Remember how you didn't have, you know, where you, people kept asking me, where you, you're moving to Monroe. Where are you going to live? I don't know. I felt like the most irresponsible husband and dad in the world. Where are y'all going to live? I don't know. Where are you going to work? I don't know. How are you going to do this? I don't know. All I know is God said go. 
God says, you remember how I provided you a place to live? It was a camper, but it was a Taj Mahal of campers. It was a full-size toilet. <laughs> Those of you laughing have stayed in a camper, I can tell. We're of a kindred spirit together. Remember how I provided that camper? Yeah, remember you worked for the garbage company? Yeah, and you drove a pecan picker upper and you picked up pecans, right? And I provided that. You never went hungry. You gained weight while you were there. And I gave you a church building. Remember that? And I sent you a staff and all that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. God says, if I did that for you then, then I'll take care of you moving down there too. Just trust me with it. Just trust me with it. God says, just, just keep on rowing, all right? Just keep on rowing. You, look, you just trust me. We'll handle this. And folks, I'll tell you, the last six months, they've been wonderful. I'm thankful for what God's done in my life, and I'm thankful for what God's done in our church. I look forward to what God wants to do, but we can't forget what he's already done. Never let it be said of us at Central Baptist Church, they considered not the miracle. Of all the things God's already done for this church in the last 70 years. Some of you younger folks ought to spend time with some of the folks who've been here for decades and let them tell you about all the things God's done, the miracles of this place. Because if you forget, then you won't trust God to do what only God can do. Last thing, verse 52 says, they considered not. They considered not. The word considered means this, to take account. To take account. Now watch this. I want you to think about a bank account, all right? Think about a bank account. You deposit into a bank account so that you can withdraw it later, Right? Man, my wife, we, man, we didn't go, you know, we're not going to go out to wards today, get a little one, no onion, you know, we're not going to do that today. Wow, we're saving up for vacation. Saving up for vacation. Man, after a while, you're like, is this worth it or not, you know? So we just kept putting that money in that account, kept putting that money in that account, kept putting that money in the account. And man, it rolled around. November 17th, it was time to get in the car and get out of town. We got out there to Disney World. Miley says, can I have one of those? I said, yeah. It was cotton candy? Yeah. Go ahead and buy it. Hey, you want that necklace? Yeah, buy it. Go ahead and buy it. You want that backpack? Go ahead and buy it. You see, she had the money to spend because she had already put it in the account. Can I tell you what you need to put in your account today is all of what God's already done. Consider it. Take it into account. You know why? Because you're going to need it later. You're going to face a mountain that's so high to climb and you're going to look in your account and you didn't consider what it was going to take and you're not going to have what it's going to cost to get to the top. Can I ask you this morning, we're looking back on Thanksgiving. We're just a few days removed. Did you miss the meaning of the meal? You know, it's not really about turkey. It's not really about the, uh, you know, cranberry shaped like a can. It's about reflecting on what God's done and seeing how good God's been. And taking that into account so that we can look forward to what God wants to do. Because if you forget, here's what's going to happen. You're going to open the door to doubt. You're going to give a place in your life to fear. And it's going to cost you what God could have done. What miracles are you not considering this morning? What have you forgotten that God's already done? And that forgetfulness has cost you what God wants to do. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.